everyone, and welcome to the 16th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. If this is your first episode, this is a tabletop and board game and role-playing game podcast. You guys are not working with me here. My name is SBJ, and with Shut me today... Shut up, SBJ! <laughs> and with me today, I have Alan. Who might be muted. Alan? I'm back. I don't know if I should. <laughs> I don't know if I should cut or edit this. Oh, did you already start? Oh yeah. Oh hey, I'm Alan Gerding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, one part Tuesday night games, one part two rooms and a boom, uh, one third of one eighth of one sixteenth. Awesome, but I'm here for you guys. Okay, you walked away, but you're still 100 percent when you come back. Yeah, I did say I'll be right back. Yeah, it's already start when I said that. You totally did not hear that. You you might have muted before you said that. No, that's not that's not possible because I never muted except in the beginning when I mess with you guys when I do this no, thing. I, I think it's just hear it. I didn't hear it. All right. Well, we also have Sean here. Hello. <laughs> Perfect. We have a I'm looking at the notes here for this episode. We have a pretty short uh, table talk, which is when we talk about what we've been playing for the week. Our topic of the episode is journalistic integrity and... Pros and cons of journalistic integrity. Right. Right. Because we were talking about USBJ and how you're different than Sean and myself as far as your stance. So we want to assure our listeners that you are not our shill. Yeah, you guys don't pay me, so I got... <laughs> so how could you be? I got... Got no horses in the horse in this race. I thought uh, kisses was payment, but I guess not. All right, yeah. <laughs> do you do you guys have anything else before we jump right into table talk? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of things. I want to commend your other podcast. It's super effective because Will is amazing. He's a gem. So I've really enjoyed <laughs> listening. Not that you're you suck, SBJ. Don't take it like that. That just Will's really cool. And Travis, I remember the first time I heard Travis, I thought, who is this guy? And then uh, as he kept on talking, it's weird because his presentation almost sounds juvenile in a way, but what he's actually saying is really well thought and intellectual. So I was really impressed with these guys. I'm like, this is, this is really, really interesting. And then I heard your email from like an eight or an 11 year old. And I realized, oh man, uh, this is a young kid, and in his email, he said he also listens to this podcast. I couldn't Aww. help but think of the explicit label this one has compared to It's Super Effective. So I, I bet we have very different emails from people than It's Super Effective. <laughs> we have a lot of, like, um, a 32-year-old, and I want to play Pokemon with more people kind of emails. So we have, a, like, not... I our, our, Average age, I think, is around 24, 25. Just people who grew up playing Pokemon, essentially. Yeah. So, the, like, the weird, like, though, it is weird to get such a young person to email in, but it's also, like, really exciting. And yeah, that's awesome. I played um, D&D with my little... Oh, wait, I could put that on the thing. Hold on. Yeah, you thought you had nothing, but you played D&D. What a noob. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to start on a somber note, but the other thing I wanted was to... Shout out to uh, David Bowie and Alan Rickman. Yeah, you soured it up. 
Yeah, sorry, but uh, no exaggeration. David Bowie, one of the few artists where I've actually learned some of the words to his songs. I have this attention deficit thing. I know, big surprise there. And I have a hard time making out lyrics when I hear songs. I get the rhythm, no problem. But when it actually comes to the words, I just assume no one understood what anyone was singing. And that was pretty much squashed in middle school. People are like, no, we totally understand what people are saying when they sing. And so David Bowie, huge fan. And then Alan Rickman, Quigley Down Under was my jam in movie talk. Yeah. What's Quigley Down Under? Yeah, it's not Harry Potter. Whoa. What? You guys haven't seen Quigley Down Under? I haven't even heard of Quigley Down Under. Oh my goodness. What are we doing, guys? Podcast is over. Let's go watch I'll watch Tom Selleck and Alan Rickman, and I'm assuming Australia. Yeah, so Quigley (laughs) Down Under, you know Alan Rickman's Sheriff of Nottingham and how awesome that was? Mm -mm. Wait, you've seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner, I'm assuming, right? Nah, that came out when I was really young, and my grandma got me one of the action figures. Kids! Oh my goodness! I'll carve your heart out with a spoon! That's like Is that a good one? It's it's the best Robin Hood by far. All the others are crap, in my opinion. Even though it's Kevin Costner and he doesn't talk with an English accent, blah, blah, blah. It has Morgan Freeman in it. uh, And it was what Robin Hood Men in Tights was a parody of. So have you seen Robin Hood Men in Tights? No. Nope. What? (laughs) What is going on? I feel like every head explode. What is happening? You guys don't even know who Alan Rickman is, really, then, do you? Uh, if it he helps, was in Dogma. I had, like, a 30-minute conversation with my girlfriend last night where she was like, have you seen The Big Chill? And I was like, I haven't seen The Big Chill. And she was like, what? And then she was looking it up on Amazon. She was like, ooh, Big. We should watch that again. I was like, I've never seen Big. She was like, what? And it went on like this for, like, an hour and a half with just, like, what about Top Gun? Nah. What about this? Nope. Well, we made a Twins <laughs> reference with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger last episode. Have you ever seen Twins? No. I haven't. And last night, I pretended what like the movie Big was Twins. <laughs> she oh was my. like, have you seen Big? And I was like, is that the one with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger where they're twins? And she was like, I can't tell if you're fucking with me or not. And it kept going like that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, seriously. Watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Quigley Down Under. But the thing is, it's Alan Rickman basically plays the same character. He's Alan Rickman is known as, I mean, you know Hans Gruber, right? Sure, yeah. I just watched I Heard a couple months ago. Okay, well, thank God. All right, so at least we have some foundation upon which we can rebuild our relationship. No, we do. It's Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, Harry Potter also. Yeah, because Snape was Alan Rickman's great role. Because <laughs> that character had a lot of dynamic and freedom because it wasn't already written in books. I, I shit like on up, actually. Snape. I mean, he was a great Snape because it's Alan Rickman. But how about Galaxy Quest? Have you guys seen Galaxy Quest? Oh, yeah. I feel like we have to move away from this movie talk because you keep <laughs> throwing out movies that I have not seen any. And... You obviously don't know who Alan Rickman really is if you only know him as Snape. Yeah, oh, and my... he's in Dogma as the angel. Yeah, I've seen Dogma. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I got to step back because I got to respect everyone's viewpoints, expect it, respect <laughs> no, <you don't>. life <laughs> experiences. And just because your life has not had a whole bunch of Alan Rickman, that's cool, man. In fact, I'm a little jealous because you, ne- you can experience Alan Rickman all over again while listening to some David Bowie. I mean, we all know David Bowie songs, I'm assuming, because I'm definitely the music idiot. Which is why it's amazing that I know David Bowie's songs. He likes, he's, uh, smells like Teen Spirit. Golden Years. 
You guys know Golden Years? That's one of my favorites, Golden Years. Labyrinth, that's a movie, but hoodoo, you do, voodoo, magic <laughs> dance. Dance, magic <laughs> dance. You guys? I'm not feeling this fire anymore. Fan. Um, and, of course, any David Bowie song that was in a Guitar Hero game, I know backwards and forwards and blindfolded. That's fair. That's an SBJ line. That's mm-hmm. fair. That's pretty yeah. solid. He was in, uh, his song was used in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, hey, yeah. way to redeem yourself, SBJ. <laughs> you just pulled on that string. Oh, and it's my little brother, who's 19, was a huge boy fan. He was posting all these sad things on Twitter, and I didn't really know how to handle it, so I just kind of ignored it because you know, he's 19. You know, like David Bowie is in no way his contemporary, but he was talking about how hard he was hit and how big a deal he was to him, and I was like, I knew he liked Bowie. But uh, I had no idea. Although he did just get a new dog, and I'd recommended this was like a month ago, calling his dog David Bow Wowie because he does like David Bowie a lot. That's pretty cool. It's a good note he to add. D- he didn't name the dog D- David Bow Wowie. If anybody was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess as homework for USBJ and your listeners, not that you have to do it, but I would recommend either Quigley Down Under or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And, uh, yeah, listen to some David Bowie if you haven't already listened to some David Bowie. Oh, definitely Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest oh, is yeah. something. It's a quick watch. It's lighthearted. It won't take any effort. I think Irene would enjoy watching it with you. So It's my favorite cool Scorny Weaver movie. Right. She, the, she's the hottest in Galaxy Quest. And, <laughs> she's, and I'm not going to get into this whole feminine age thing because everyone's beautiful throughout the ages. But sure. she, she's ages really well and i think it really shows in galaxy quest and some people do get really ugly when they get old that's fair let's move on to table talk (laughs) for every super enlightened thing alan says i want to say something totally (laughs) shitty and terrible Uh, table talk yeah what we have been playing what have you been playing, SBJ? I have been playing nothing. <laughs> All right, what have you been playing, Sean? I played 5th uh, edition. I got the starter box for my little uh, little brother, and I ran it for a bunch of his friends. Um, What's the age was, range there? Uh, they're all like 19, 18 and 19. A couple of them were high school. Most of them just graduated last year. Okay. Most of them had never played a role-playing game before which was hilarious because one of the big things you have to nip in the butt a lot is everybody keeps saying, can I this? Can I that? Can I see if he has a weapon in his bag? It's like, yes, you can. It's like, can I do this? It's like, yeah, just tell me what you want to do and I'll tell you what happens. You don't have to ask permission. Um, super cool kids. Fifth edition added two things that I love, um, which is they have wait, an advantage. Wait. If you're talking about the mechanics of fifth edition a little bit and what they're changing, you got to get in the elevator, bro. Do I? Sure. Really? I, okay. I think it'd be pretty epic to go in an elevator, except this elevator is going down, 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 deep into dungeons. And you're an old miner who thinks he's a mage. <laughs> Welcome to the elevator, youngins. I'm a spooky wizard looking for gold. And I'm here to tell you about Dungeons and Dragons, the fifth edition. Dungeons and Dragons is the classic role-playing game about fantasy worlds with swords and sorcery. I've lost track of my accent, but I can tell you 
that it plays from one to infinite number of players from ages pretty young to pretty old for anywhere between 30 minutes and all of time. Fifth edition rolls back a lot of the changes made in fourth edition and feels a lot more like the third edition D20 plus a modifier roll. But other than that, made a really big effort to include some of the old school Renaissance movement, as well as streamlining the clunkier bits of third edition, like Pathfinder had done. <laughs> that was good. So, that was thanks. good. Yeah. Uh, another follow-up question, because you talked about one of the pitfalls that new role players fall into is constantly asking you if they can do things. But did you ever have the opposite pitfall that sometimes happens is where they tell you what happens? Where they so like narrate I'm going to swing you? my sword and it's going to cut his head off and then I'm going to go ahead and dive d further down in the dungeon and level up. Like, well, <laughs> slow down. That's a pretty good narration. Um, I didn't have that problem with this group. You know, they're all uh, younger kids, so I think they're all a little bit more unsure of themselves. Some of them spent an inordinate amount of time doing things I would never do in a game. For instance, a friend of mine named Phil showed up um, after work, and he was hanging out. And I was like, well, why don't you play with us if you're just going to be hanging out here? And he was like, sure. And so I was like, ah, deep in the woods, you see a dark-skinned elfin creature, blah, 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 blah. And it's a drow, and his name's Phil. And he comes up. And then one of the kids asks Phil all these questions about his past and his life. Not as a joke, but sincerely. He's like, so where did you come from? Mm-hmm. And what did you do before you found us? How did you know we were here? And it's like, guys, he literally just sat down at the table. Like, he has no new information that you can glean about the mission to end. But it was pretty funny just seeing them sort of spread their wings a little bit. Um, and there's really nothing more fun, in my opinion, than, like, a group of level one adventurers who've never played a game before, like, running across, like, goblins, and then, like, what happens when they capture one of them? Because they want to torture him, they want to, like you know, make him one of their allies, somebody wants to make him a pet, like somebody wants to eat him. It's just all madness breaks loose. And I remember thinking like, I'm so unprepared for this adventure tonight. Uh, but all I could have had was like goblins ambush. And for your first time playing D&D, &D, that could take forever. Um, Which SBJ still has never played. We really do need to have a dedicated role play podcast session with SBJ. Yeah, we should just run one episode where we're just playing D&D &D for a, him well just just the three of us or should we get more we people? can do that we can do the three of us yeah Jeez. i mean you don't like it when there's more than three on here or you yeah. just hate justin one or the other uh, both. little column a little column b <laughs> <laughs> i mean if we're if we're doing more people which which is definitely possible we would just probably switch to a different way of recording in a different like it wouldn't be as high quality as the current show well, this will probably never happen, but if we end up going to shows together, we should definitely just go into a hotel room yeah. and do that as like a tradition of, hey, the three of us are together at Gen Con, so let's do an hour role play session or something like that. My favorite two things, that's a great idea, by the way, um, that I've come across in 5th edition so far, I haven't done a lot. The starter set is amazing for 20 bucks. It's like a huge adventure, a tiny rule book. A set of dice character sheets like I don't think any rule book for a role-playing game really needs to be longer than like 36 pages anyway So it was perfect um, They had an advantage disadvantage system which basically means all the time you're saying like I want to help this person 
you know, pass this spell skill check or like I'm jumping on top of them and they're surprised. What kind, what do I do? And different games over the years have like made you add numbers or subtract numbers or or whatever. But fifth edition just says if you're at an advantage, you roll 2d20 as opposed to your normal 1d20 and you take the higher roll. And if you're at a disadvantage, you roll 2d20 and you take the lower roll. And that works across the board. So like if you're dodging somebody, then you're at an then they're at a disadvantage to attack you. And I'm stealing that and putting that in every game that I run just because it's so much simpler than saying like, oh, I'll give you a plus one for this, but only plus two for that. Um, they also had a system where when you die, when you fall unconscious, you basically have to roll, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. And if you get three strikes bad, you die. And if you get three strikes good, you stabilize. And so it gives players something to do during that awkward moment where like maybe they just passed out and it's combat and nobody's getting over there to heal them. But they just don't want to be sitting there being like, well, I'm not doing anything. They have like a roll, like every chance you're struggling to survive. Make your roll. Fuck, I got a strike. Uh, they had that in fourth edition, Sean. Thank oh, did they? Much. Yeah, they did. If you were dead, you had a roll to stop your own bleeding so you didn't totally die out. Well, I'll go <laughs> fuck myself then. <laughs> Fucking idiot. God. Did you ever play fourth edition? No. I mean, we tried. It just looks so dumb to me. I couldn't get into it. I played a lot of it. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the one I've played the most is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. After that, D&D Second Edition. After that, D&D... No! Not that anyone cares. The role-playing game I've played the most, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, then Call of Cthulhu, oh, then yeah. Second Edition, then Fourth Edition. What did you like about Fourth Edition? I just liked... <laughs> the people I was hanging out with, honestly, oh, okay. it was just an excuse to hang out with friends and it wasn't taken very seriously. It was with a whole bunch of strangers and one friend, but I quickly became friends with everyone else and still am to this day. But I remember the first time we met right away, they said, uh, so encumbrance is bullshit, right? Inventory management just, uh, and all of them were said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. So we never had to worry about encumbrance or our equipment, anything like that. It was ridiculous. And as far as role playing, there was none. So as we all probably know, fourth edition D&D is just all about the combat. So that's pretty much all we did. In fact, the GM at one point said, yeah, so you go into town and you're supposed to figure out these rumors, but I'm just going to read off this list of rumors. And so we're like, oh, <laughs> man, we didn't get to role play. There was never me bartering with a townsperson over the price of anything, and there was never a shakedown to get more information out of anyone. She's like, all right, cool. Uh, moving on. So it it wasn't a really great experience of fourth edition because there was no role playing. It was all just combat. But as a tabletop combat game, I'd say really solid, actually, compared nice. to other tabletop combat games. Yeah, I've heard it plays a lot like a video game or it took a lot of influence from sort of making it like everybody has special abilities. Like in World of Warcraft, you know, your spells might be backstab, but that's still your kind of power is what I've heard. I haven't played it. So. Yeah. The one thing that they had, and I forget what it was called because I wasn't expecting to talk about this just as you were expecting not to talk about any games you mark or tag someone, which is the equivalent of aggro in World of Warcraft. Oh, interesting. So if you're a warrior type, you mark some characters, and they're penalized if they attack anyone but you. Some of them are. They actually just take up straight-up damage if they don't attack you, if they attack someone else. Wow. So it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, that's what I played this week. And like SBJ said about having a younger listener on a Super Effective, 
it was just cool to play with younger kids because I feel like that's how the hobby gets passed down. At some point or another, an older person is like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll run D&D for you. I've been doing it for my, you know, nerdy 30-something losers for the last five years. I could do it for a bunch of, like, fresh-faced young kids who are like, whoa. So very rewarding in that way. Very cool feeling. Alan, what are, what were you playing? Well, here's the <laughs> list. I played Space Team, Lewd and Obscene, played Monikers in front of a whole bunch of colleagues. We have these mandatory days in college at the beginning of the semester where all the faculty members have to go. So it's a gathering of professors. And uh, they ask for people to run presentations. So I decided I'll run a presentation and I'm just going to play games. Screw it. They made me change the title of the presentation. The original presentation name was I freaking hate these presentations. Let's just play some games. So they made me change that. So I just said icebreakers. So anyways, these professors came in and I just had them play a whole big game of cooperative monikers. And then they broke into smaller groups and played Dr. Boom and Fiverwolf. So, but nice. uh, also, did I already say space team and loot and obscene? Yes. Yeah. You know, okay, I think that's I'd, it. I'd really like to hear an elevator pitch of uh, code names. Cause nobody, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did play code names too. That's funny that you said that. Uh, space team. Tell us a little bit about space team. You want to do an elevator pitch for that? Well, before I go into it, are you guys all familiar with the app space team? Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So for listeners that aren't familiar, if you haven't downloaded the space team phone app with your friends, do it now because it's free and it's ridiculously awesome. So it's the card version of that. But before I do an elevator pitch, how about I steal one from Sean and you guys tell me who I'm supposed to be for this elevator pitch. How about a spaceship captain? <laughs> okay. I'll be the captain. Uh, do you, do I have a passenger? I'll even add You can say no. SBJ, do you want me to be with anybody? Yeah, you should be with a 11 year old astronaut. Okay. Aww. All right. Name your ship, Alan. Uh, the SS Excalibur. Ding me, SBJ. I'm assuming that's the ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I always thought you just edited out the ding. Here we go. All right. Here it is. Hey there, kid. Welcome aboard the SS Sexcalibur. I know you thought this was an elevator, but it's not. I am your captain, and now you are part of my space team. Unfortunately, you're aboard a malfunctioning spaceship. You must ensure that the ship's systems are functioning properly in order to escape an impending black hole. Yeah, and each of your teammates is, or space team crew is, responsible for resolving malfunctions in their own sector, which equates to your play area in front of you. And you have an arsenal of space tools to work with. For instance, they have crazy names like centrifugal, disperser, and rotomist container. And I got these cards in front of me. I'm trying to read them. Lorenz Whistler, or Whittler. And that's not it because if it wasn't hard enough for you then, you'll also have to deal with anomalies, which often require the coordination of the 
entire space team. For instance, we may enter an asteroid field where all players must pass all of their cards to the player to the right, or we may hit a wormhole in which everybody must change their seats, or you could be afflicted with a man overboard problem, which means you have to start acting like an astronaut slowly floating away from the table and you can't come back until one of your teammates drags you back to the table. Whew! Your space team has only five minutes to complete this cooperative card game to fix the spaceship, act fast, and good luck, space cadet! Now get out of this elevator and into the void of space. Hold your breath. That was way longer than a minute. You gotta cut him off, SBJ. You gotta get on that. Yeah, but then it takes even longer, because... <laughs> <laughs> You guys it's should actually just almost... never let me do an elevator pitch. That's what it's no, really they're great. Good. They're, they're I good. think your pitches are great. I just think, you know, SPJ's got to be on it and cut you off. I think it's funnier if somebody's giving an elevator pitch and then we cut them off halfway through and it's like, well, we just don't get to hear whatever the rest of that was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll try it next time for sure. Just cut me dead off. Always. Let's just try that and see how that goes. And then we'll get faster and faster. We'll learn. I started normal, and then I realized, oh, I should be doing more of a voice. Oh, Captain Kirk. Your voice is I good. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, so is, is this board game better than the app? No. Ooh. <laughs> How could it be? Uh, yeah, it that, really... that's kind of the biggest question that was looming while you were pitching. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I also have the Not Safe for Work expansion, and I was expecting it to be really lewd and dirty with weird tool names and weird anomalies. But realistically, the only real dirty thing about it is innuendos, which is kind of cool because like the images just look like double sided dildos and weird things like that that are sexual. And the categories of the tools are called like the pleasurizers and the enticers, things like that. So it's wow. more innuendos. Yeah, yeah. Totally not as dirty as Loot and Obscene, which is the other game I played, which is basically Balderdash except it's with Urban Dictionary's sexual moves and whatnot, like Suicide Grip and... Um, wallet the, Drop. Wallet Drop, yeah, that was one of the classic ones. So have you ever played Balderdash, SBJ? Uh, I have not played it, but I'm aware of how it works. Yeah, one player has the actual definition for a word, and everyone else has to make up a definition, and you get a point when someone votes for your definition as the real definition and you get a point if you vote for the real definition it's not in jackbox it's just name something different fibbage it's yeah fibbage is basically like balderdash except lewd and obscene is the really lewd one so yeah it's interesting it gets requested a lot on my tuesday night group because they're immature but the interesting thing about lewd and obscene is they have some cards with words that aren't lewd, just sound lewd. For instance, one of the cards is tittle. You guys know what tittle is? Ooh, Why don't you is guys like guess? Tiddly? What do you think tittle means? Imagine you're playing the game. I'm going to assume it. it means like uh, indecisive. What did you think, SBJ? Like waiting. It's pacing. the dot on top of the lowercase i and j. That thing is known as the tittle. Oh, okay. Went yes. to, uh, I took a typography class, probably fell asleep during that point. Yeah, but Suicide Jerk is hilarious hearing everyone else put in their definition, but you guys want to know the actual definition for Suicide Jerk? <laughs> yeah, I think I know, but yeah. 
Suicide jerk is when you're masturbating and right before you orgasm, you call for your mom and dad to come into the room and you have to finish before they get there. It's a dangerous game. We've lost a lot of good people to it. Just like we probably lost a lot of listeners to me talking about Ludum scene. Real dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mom! The shitty thing is once you get used to it, you can't finish without calling for your mom and dad. Some lines you shouldn't cross. Exactly. What if I like the way human meat tastes? All right, well, we have 15 more minutes. Let's move. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? Uh, yeah. It's topic time. To our topic of the episode. Topic of the episode. (laughs) Journalistic integrity. Uh, SBJ, we wanted to assure our listeners, although we have no real guarantee, but I wanted everyone to know that we're not really a review site, but you can poop on two rooms in a boom and world championship Russian roulette as much as you want. You can be as genuine about foam guns or not foam guns as possible. And how much do we talk about these things outside of the podcast? Probably not a lot. I mean, we, we, this is the only time we're, we're talking where we hear the other voice, each other's voices. Otherwise it's through text or Skype. I mean, while the reason why we're talking about journalistic integrity, because yes, we're not a review site. We're not like the Dice Tower or Shut Up and Sit Down or uh, whatever other. Whatever so other I, guy has a, a webcam, in your opinion. Right. Uh, and yeah, you guys made Two Rooms and Boom, and that's how we definitely met, um, just because I liked Two Rooms and Boom so much. And I, I've talked about how some of my favorite games are hidden role games. So it was a, a natural fit. So while we do talk around about two rooms and a booms, a lot, two rooms and a boom a lot and world championship Russian roulette, which is your guys' next game, which I already told you, I really like, um, I am, I, I don't have any horses in this race as in like, I am not here to represent a company. I'm not here to like make you guys sound better or worse and i'm not afraid to throw anyone under the bus right because we only pay you in kisses right yeah as we we learned from the beginning of the show so uh, i don't know what your your stances are on journalistic integrity i know we all kind of came up with this topic at the after after we finished last week's episode when we just started talking about this um yeah i'll i have i have a quick little story about shut up and sit down because i know you've said you're not sure about those guys i'm sure about those guys no no i I, I love those guys oh you do okay yes i really like shut up and sit down and here's the little what's the nice fancy word for a story about yourself that short little anecdote thank you (laughs) so here's a little (laughs) anecdote about uh shut up and sit down we knew that they really liked the game because they had been uh doing saying it on their podcast and I contacted Quinn's via email and said, hey, this is Alan. I'm the, one of the creators of Two Rooms in a Boom. I heard you really like the game. We're getting ready to put it up on Kickstarter. I was wondering if I could ask your opinion on some things to help guide some of our decisions. And he emailed me back saying, I'm sorry, I cannot do that because that will interfere with my journalistic integrity because I want to be as objective as possible when reviewing games. Amazing. I thought that was great. 
The end of that story is, though, he said, although just make sure you include the ambassador and the spy in the base set. So I got to respond to him like, ha I was just going to ask you if you had any cards we should definitely include. And you already answered it. So poop on that journalistic integrity. But I think that's amazing. It definitely as opposed to. I'm just going to say it, and, and it's weird because it's evidence of. I don't want to say corruption because that's, but yeah, I guess corruption that I'm actually scared to mention Dice Tower because they have a Kickstarter going on right now. This is the their third one. Their third one for their third season. Well, and their 17th season. No, sorry, not 17th. I believe it's their ninth. I can pull it up as you guys are talking. Before we go into this, I want to be very clear. I've met Tom Vassell before. I haven't had a problem with, a problem with Tom Vassell. I've had really friendly conversations with him. And I would have no problem whatsoever with Dice Tower if at the beginning of every episode they said, hey, just so you know, we take money from anyone, including publishers. Twelfth season. In their twelfth season? Yeah. Third season on Kickstarter, though. Fourth. I'm sorry. I'm just getting everything wrong. Four, fourth created. Shut up, SBJ. <laughs> they start, <laughs> see, this is where I was confused. They started with season nine, 10, 11, 12. These are how numbers work. Yeah. Yeah, so you can you can go to Kickstarter and give them money, and Tom Vassell openly says he uses this as salary so he can do the Dice Tower full-time pretty much, and so he has to provide a living for his family and friends. So that's an interesting use of Kickstarter as well as far as saying, hey, this is just to pay me so I can keep doing what I want to do as opposed to upgrading mic equipment. Yeah, um, so let's, let's back up a little bit. I, sure. uh I think I think if you search board game besides possibly board game geek, you're going to get Dice Tower, Uh, especially when it comes to reviews or just like playthrough guides or list. They uh, at the Dice Tower love to do top tens for whatever reason. They're incredibly prolific. In fact, on board game geek. If you go to the review section, it's almost guaranteed that one of the number one review things that's been thumbed up is a Tice Tower review. Right. So uh, as so you guys you guys work in board games, obviously I don't. Uh, I have more of the eyes of just a consumer. And not to say that you guys aren't consumers as well, because Alan's list of games is t- always twice as long as mine and Sean's combined. But uh, when I was getting into board games, it was really shut up and sit down that kind of steered me into the direction I wanted. And I say that because when I watch Dice Tower stuff, I don't think the content is well delivered. I don't think the video production is great. I don't think the audio production is great. I think that I've been watch- I've been very familiar with board games for the past five years, and the Dice Tower is exactly how I've seen it. For the past five years and what really brought me in was shut up and sit down's review of escape the curse of the temple and from there it was like i watched that game that game's good uh from there i watched everything and i love their site and i love their articles and i love their videos they put out they're extremely funny they're fun to watch it's like something that you could have on the tv and like you're not embarrassed that it's like it's entertaining it's what content should be Hopefully this podcast also falls under entertaining and what content should be. We're um, trying. And then because of Shut Up and Sit Down, I discovered uh, table 
What is it? Tabletop? Tabletop. Yeah. With By the Geek and Sundry what? Network. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so I watched season one, watched season two. There was a lot of bullshit that happened because of season three. <laughs> and uh, like uh, Will Wheaton, I'm sure he is a great person, but uh, I don't think he represents board games good. And a lot of people could argue against me and say, well, Will Wheaton's super popular. Everyone knows him. Star Trek. Blah, blah, blah. Star Trek. And it's like, I get it. And maybe I'll come back to Will Wheaton in a second. But there was always something about Dice Tower that has rubbed me the wrong way. And I don't know if it's the production of their content or how uh, there's something about watching three guys sit at a table in somebody's living room and run down the top 10 games every month of whatever these are the top 10 games of board art that hasn't evolved from the 1980s like it's just like it's just stuff i don't want to see and it, it it to me it's almost like embarrassing and i don't know if that's leaning more towards journalistic integrity but that's where i stand on dice tower content interesting so from yeah. an integrity standpoint you haven't said much you just don't like what they're putting out you don't like the product i don't yeah and so i i like saying i don't i don't care if drugs should be illegal or illegal i just don't really like coke well i i did i i <laughs> that's fair so i i did speak on like i don't think they've evolved in the five years but what i have seen and what i have done personally is make kickstarters and and i've understand what kickstarter takes out i understand what your taxes take out i understand what amazon well, when they used to use amazon take out so i get everything that goes into pricing I get how much work it is to hit a Kickstarter to fill rewards and then to meet your goals that you initially had. And I watch all these people give the Dice Tower money hand over fist. So every year they ask for more and more money, dramatically more and more money. Uh, every year they've gotten more backers. The 2013, they had 1,500 backers. 2014, they had almost 3,000. 2015, 3,500. And uh, with 17 days left, I have 3,500 right now. And what bothers me is that their content is exactly the same as it was five years ago. Nothing's different. Like, I know how much a microphone costs. You want a good podcasting mic? $350. That's it. You don't have to spend a penny more. And somebody could argue with me differently, but I've done the research. I've been podcasting for five years. $350, you're done. You're making right now $2,000 and you're still using the same podcast or the same audio mic that you've been using for the past five years. Where's your money going? And that bothers me a lot. I think they're going by the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it standard, which is, hey, if we can get more money for the same content, why, why not do that? But in every single video for the past four years on Kickstarter, the first thing he says is we want to make the show better. And you're not. Ah. <laughs> See, I love you. You think, you think they're not living up to their promise. Yes, absolutely. So if the show had like improved in quality from a production standpoint, you'd you'd be all okay. I could watch a video from the Dice Tower from 2009 and pull up one from 2015. I could not tell you which one is newer. You don't know which games have come out in 2009 or 2015. <laughs> Besides that. <laughs> What do you what do you think, Alan? What are your thoughts on this? I just have one word, and this is what really rubs me the wrong way the most. Dice Tower Essentials. That just seems so corrupt to me. 
because Dice Tower Essentials is Sheriff of Nottingham, and they have another one coming out. And that's where Dice Tower partnered with Arcane Wonders, or our old stomping ground, Sean, and they release games with the label Dice Tower Essentials. I don't, to be fair, I don't know the inner workings of the contracts behind it, but from my understanding, and this may be all conjecture, and I apologize, but they get a kickback from that because it has a Dice Tower logo, and it's basically Dice Tower saying, hey, we're going to help publish some games. And Dice Tower saying, yeah, it's an essential game. That's not so bad if they don't review it at all and they don't do anything for it, but it's basically just double dipping. It'd be the equivalent of Cisco and Ebert saying, Hey, by the way, we're also starting our own production company. It's the Cisco and Ebert line guaranteed to be a game that you need on your table. And that doesn't mix because in any other industry, movie industry, music industry, heck huge in the video game industry, that would be, there'd be such an uproar. And as of right now, us talking is the only uproar I've ever heard publicly, at least. Because I've definitely heard other people ramble. In fact, I'm not going to put words into Michael Fox's mouth at all. But if you guys listen to my interview with Michael Fox, he talks about how he had the, uh, the Little Metal Dog Show. And it was on the Dice Tower Network. And he left. And I asked him, why did you leave? And he simply said, well... It just didn't fit right, kind of like a shirt doesn't fit right. And I sense, and this may be me intuiting totally wrong, I sense there was more to that story because the reality is I'm actually scared to be talking about this publicly because Dice Tower has so much control. So many people listen to the reviews, and here we are Tuesday Night Games talking about them, and that could totally hurt us. And I, I, I think that's a feeling that I'm not alone on. So it's one of these things that when Tom Vassell walks by or anyone from the Dice Tower, you basically want to be as nice as possible. Not that we're not nice anyways, but there's definitely this nervousness there. I think it equates to someone at a food restaurant, a food restaurant owner, when they have someone come in and taste their food, you want to be extra nice. So I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm nervous. I'm kind of just making this up as I'm going on, but there's definitely this feeling of, Oh, almost like a mafia in some sort where there's so much control there and censorship. And I don't know. Well, you know, it, know, it's it's funny because when you, Alan, asked me if I wanted to like host this podcast. And like one of my first response was, yeah, absolutely. But as long as we're not under like the Dice Tower Network. And I was. I, I remember that. I remember that. And it wasn't it wasn't because I. I hate the Dice Tower. I've watched plenty of the reviews because, go figure, they put out more reviews than any other website. I hope if you make 20000 off Kickstarter, you put out the most reviews. But, like, I have listened to so many podcasts that, like, they promote the Dice Tower Network at the beginning of their show and at the end of their show, and they're a proud partner, and I get it. I don't know what Dice Tower is providing them. Server space? Are they... You know, helping them find microphones or, you know, editing. I think it's software. sharing audience base because we are part of the Dice Tower network. I can guarantee we'd automatically get so many more listeners. But there's no way we're being part of the Dice Tower network. But is is 
do you do you really believe that or is that just like because i don't i don't believe that for a second i don't believe for a second if i say that we're part of the dice tower network we would have more listeners but we let's, would be listed on their website yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we're part of the dice tower network i don't hear anything <laughs> so so i think i think though going back to your Going back to what you were saying is like some people may be scared to talk about the Dice Tower Network because they're so big. But at the same time, it's like, well, if we do a board gaming podcast and we're not under the Dice Tower Network, no one's not people aren't going to listen to us like somebody who has beat those odds or shut up and sit down. Somebody who else who beat those odds are bored with life. Easily within their like first years of production. You know what, screw it. I'm going to eschew the fear and I'm going to also tell another story that I'm really scared to share. But we were shaken down by people who may or may not be associated with Tom, but at the booth at Gen Con, I had three individuals come up and say, hey, we're part of Tom Vassell's Dice Tower group. We play games with Tom all the time. We're in his local Florida gaming group. We're like, oh, cool. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We love two rooms and boom. Hey, thanks a lot. And to be fair, they're really nice guys. I said, yeah. Can we get a copy of the game for free? Like, oh, well, uh, no, we're selling them back and thing like, oh, come on, man. We're part of the dice tower. And they definitely held that at, over my head. I'm like, well, it's like, come on, we play your game a lot and we'll be talking about in the dice tower. You should give us a free game. And I definitely caved because it's dice tower. And I said, well, come back at the end of the show. And if we have some damaged boxes left over, would you mind having a damage box? And they said, no, we'll take a damage box. But I handed them over. And after that, I, I felt, I don't know. It, it felt, felt dirty. It felt dirty a little bit because situations reversed. I can never imagine saying those words to another company. And I know a lot of people, I know Patrick nickel. I never say, Hey Patrick, give me a copy of this. Come on. We're friends, man. And I now have a podcast that, you know, has some listeners, but Give me a copy and we'll talk about it. Although now he'd say, yeah, I listened to your podcast. SBJ just totally lit me on fire. <laughs> but, hey, Patrick, Steve didn't like your first game. Can you, you know, bring him over your next one? <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine asking for free games and whatnot uh, just vicariously through the Dice Tower. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always been like a, a tough subject, I think, for reviewers who are both starting out and you know people who are in like play groups or play testing groups you know the old like hey man we have 40 people playing games all day all night like you, you know would you donate a game to our game library and it's it's tough it's tough to make those decisions just because you know i think i'm a big believer and this is why we do kickstarter that content speaks for itself if you produce good content it'll find an audience right so like if you're making reviews, how about you review the games you have already and the games you're currently buying already? You know, you don't have to review every game that comes out. You can't beat Tom Vassell at that, you know. You probably can't even be funnier than Shut Up and Sit Down, but whatever it is that you can do that you can bring to the market that's new and unique can be done on an old game as well as a new game. You know, does that make sense? Um, so it's always it's never seemed shady to me when people come up and are like, give us a game, but it has seemed like, shouldn't, you be buying enough games as a avid reviewer like you were such a big fan of the games uh, of board gaming in general that you thought that you had to go out and share your thoughts on those games with the world 
and that people would want to listen to them. Don't you have enough games already? But I don't know. I don't think there's any checks for reviewers, and they're a necessity because as a game consumer, I want to hear someone's review of the game that I trust before I buy it, obviously. But this, I love Isaac Vega's idea where there needs to be a podcast that all they do is review reviewers because it would be weird to see the seats reversed where there's a reviewer walking by the guy who reviews the reviewers. Oh, my goodness. Huh? Hey, it's me. I, but going back to your point, Sean, I think the difference was it wasn't one person. It wasn't Tom Vassell asking for a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom. He didn't have to because we sent him one because we knew he's Tom Vassell here have one. But it was that there was a posse that came up in all wanted copies. So did it bother you that Tom himself didn't ask? No, no. To be, if Tom had asked for a copy, we would have given him one. Like, there's not like, hey, can I have a copy to play with? But like, hey, I want to review a game. Can you send me a copy? We, yeah, we would have, and we did. Because um, like, shut up and sit down. They get their games for free. They've talked about that openly. Yeah, yeah. We right, sent shut up and sit down a copy. We sent Board with Life a copy. Like, I can't remember who else we sent copies to, but I mean, we sent copies to reviewers for sure. That's part of the business. I think what you're saying is you don't like the idea of somebody trading on that name to get personal copies. Right. To play with. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it would be cool if it was one copy for the Dice Tower and whoever you have to rep it is great. Well, why do but, they need more than one? Right, right. Well, I mean, there's also Game One Boy company Geek. asked us for like 10 copies one time. Like, hey, we review games. And like I Googled them. And I was like, I don't see super many viewers. And it was like, hey, uh, maybe we could send you one. They're like, oh, no, we need one for each of our crew. It's very professional, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, we're done here. Like. <laughs> yeah 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 well i think you were also hitting on that um that not only do they review games and they get games for free and they get this huge kickstarter salary but they also put their name on a lot of games right and they take donations from when you have an open source kickstarter and you're taking money from the public you're also taking money from, I, and this may be all in my head to be completely fair, but I've always donated to the Dice Tower Kickstarter except for this year because this year I thought, come on, man, I, I'm doing this out of fear a bit because there is this little bug in my ear that says you don't want to have someone walk up to you and say, hey, yeah, you didn't donate to our cause. What gives? I don't. It doesn't, I, this might be just the difference between me and you in that regard. It doesn't bother me so much that they run a Kickstarter at all, just because, like, you know, content's worth paying for, and if they're doing a good job, like... But they're not. <laughs> well, I mean, apparently people out there think they are, you know what I mean? I mean, you could think that people are being duped, and I would agree with you there, that people have bad taste, I would agree with you there, but something they're doing is working. And Alan and I have tried to figure it out for a long time, and we think it's a big part of being first, and, you know, they're consistent, and they put up a ton of content. And for whatever reason, maybe Tom, you know, like, has his finger on the pulse of what games are good or not, you know? Um, there are probably a lot of people out there that think if he likes it, I'll probably like it, and they feel that that has been proven true over the years. The Dice Tower Essentials line bothers me more. Um, any site that, like, offers, like, reviews or T-shirts for money, I'm not a big fan of. Um, I'm not saying they shouldn't get paid. I don't know what the great business models are for reviewers out there it sounds pretty bleak because it sounds like either membership or advertising and that's you know all they can do 
Did uh, Alan? Did you give Board Game Geek money yearly? No. Do they have a thing? I'm supposed to do that? Yeah, uh -oh. they they call it like their Board Game Geek Patreon, except it's not on Patreon.com. Uh, I but, can't wait to talk about their new site design. But if you uh, if you give them, I think at least fifteen dollars, you get like a little shiny badge that you can put next to your name. The micro badges they have. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I did that one year, and then I just, I don't know. They keep promising a new site, and so I stopped giving them money because that's such a long-winded promise. Yeah. Have you I get guys it. looked at the new designs? Yeah, no, where can we find them? Let me find a link for you guys right here. Um, uh, it Alan, looks have like you... Facebook, but shittier. Um... <laughs> Alan, have you given Shut Up and Sit Down money? I have given Shut Up and Sit Down money they sent they have packages for membership and it's yes. a patreon thing yeah i have i have so given I, them money too yeah yeah and uh, and to be fair it could be a publisher that's sending them a bunch of money and i don't know they wouldn't be able to stop that this also just expands into government but i'm totally with sean that it makes perfect sense because dice tower i'll be very specific tom vassal does a service because he's so prolific and always has been. No one puts out more content than Tom Vassell. That's why Tom Vassell's Tom Vassell. And it's necessary because there's a lot of games he's done uh, reviews for that I'm pretty sure no one else would have. And I had that little niche desire to get some game that probably no one else reviewed. So it was cool that he did a review for it. Notching that. But I'm with Sean in that Dice Tower Essentials. Whoa. Come on. So yeah, like that. Oh, I have seen I've seen this design, yeah, for Board Game Geek. We should talk about it sometime. Um. So yeah, that irks me. I mean, at the end of the day, if they're not putting their stamp on games that they don't like, then you know, it is what it is. It's just yeah, it's just weird. I think it's just murky, and we don't have a lot of standards because we're such a small industry. Um, I would definitely chalk things up to incompetence over malice, all the standard disclaimers. Um, but yeah. Do you have any thoughts about Will Wheaton and Tabletop? I haven't really watched the show. I've read some things that Will Wheaton wrote that I liked just about like depression and productivity and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think he's a very visible person, so it's very easy for him to become a target. Um, but I don't watch the show, so I don't really have an opinion. I've seen the show. It's definitely not as entertaining as Shut Up and Sit Down. I think Will Wheaton's way more famous for Big Bang Theory than he is for Star Trek at this point. <laughs> but That's I will fair. say one thing I cannot I have to give Will Wheaton credit for is that he's made it much more mainstream, at least in my mind. Anyone who bridges the gap of accessibility to everyone else is A-OK -okay in my mind. Because our good friend Brad Talton said that, uh, you remember this, Sean? We walked mm -hmm. up and we said, Brad, well, the good thing is you're not making games. We're making games, so it's not likely that we're going to be competitors because our styles of games are different. And he said, whoa, 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 we'll never be competitors. We, publishers in the board gaming industry don't compete with one another. The competition is everything else outside of the tabletop industry. Our competition are movies and video games and anything else that takes people away from getting together with their friends around a table. So that is the gap that Will Wheaton and Tabletop, I think, bridges is that 
it is bringing people back to the table. And there's the that old saying, a uh, rising tide lifts all boats, right? Um, more people are spending money, more people are paying attention to board games, then that's good for everyone in board games. I think we're also at a very unique vantage point having like a game that was has been pretty successful so far in that like we knew going into the review cycle people would have to review us because we already knew some of the big people had already chosen to. We already know our Kickstarter drawn attention and we had that word of mouth recognition. Now I'm sure there's dozens if not you know hundreds of like smaller designers I say smaller like we're super small but I mean um just one guy you know no access to anyone in the industry or whatever that their biggest problem is visibility that they can't get a review to save their life you know we are probably at a place where we won't ask anyone to review our game ever again we'll just publish the games that we want to publish and people review them because they're games that come out and you know if our games fail on kickstarter and people all of a sudden stop liking us then that will become a new problem um so i dig what alan says about dice tower and how they're reviewing all these games that never nobody's ever heard of but being super long-winded my point is we have a different vantage point on this than i would say smaller guys than us or even bigger guys than us i'm sure fantasy flight worries about reviews but they don't worry about any of this stuff about being shaken down or whatever i'm sure they get shaken down by people constantly trying to get free games just because everybody wants imperial assault you know yeah i mean that any, makes any sense what i say makes sense <laughs> yeah totally i mean we're we're i don't think that i mean i, I don't get it i don't think that like people like will wheaton carry a a weight that wouldn't eventually be undiscovered. And what I mean by that is while he may have accelerated the hobby five years ago, not everyone was like setting up a webcam and doing their own reviews or streaming on Twitch or being as vocal on Twitter or Facebook or medium. And yes, all that stuff like existed five years ago, but I think there was, there's still a natural path to board gaming getting popular and everyone always and and that's what i always hear is like more people are coming to the hobby more people are coming to the hobby like i've been hearing that statement alone for the past like three years and it's not untrue obviously it is true but it's hard for me to even like recommend so i i've already said like i i, can't, I don't recommend dice tower and I even had friends that are like who have gotten into board gaming and like there's there's no one who reviews games that are good and I'm like well shut up sit down sit down's really good and I guess you could go to Dice Tower and they're like yeah but their their videos are so like stale they're so non like they agree with my points of just like the Dice Tower having zero production quality and I that's the way I feel. And Quick survey for you guys. When you want to know whether a game is good or bad, what do you guys do? I usually go to Reddit. Like our board games? Yep, our board games. What does that give you that like a different review site wouldn't? Gives me different voices. Okay. Instead of just one. What about you, Alan? I usually go on to Board Game Geek, go to the review section, and a lot of times there's only Dice Tower reviews. Yes. That have been thumbed up a lot. So I guess I'm contributing in that way that I'm clicking on the one that's the most popular because I'm assuming 
that the one that doesn't have a lot of upvotes is just some plebeian saying, yeah, the game sucks because I was mad. Well, I'm assuming where Dice Tower gets some money on Kickstarters, who else are you giving your money to? Like, who else is going to make as much content as the Dice Tower? Who's the other option? Yeah. Right. But it's it's even hard for me to recommend, like, Tabletop, especially after Season 3, where Will threw his producer, Bo, under the bus. And I think if if you've listened, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably deep enough into board games to know that situation happened. I have happened. no idea. Yeah, I'll me neither. I'll be totally honest. I have no <laughs> oh. idea what you're talking about. Okay, I'll, I'll do it real quick because I think it's interesting and I think it's Elevator important. Elevator pitch season three of Tabletop for us. <laughs> so everyone knows that Tabletop is made by Geek and Sundry with Felicia Day, who's on some of the shows, and then Will Wheaton, who obviously hosts and does the show, and he's this big board game lover and he wants more people to be playing the hobby and playing board games is fun. We get it. He had his friend who's who was making Pirate's Den which is now produced by uh, your guys' friend over at Crash Games. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if, how long Pirate's Den was in production or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. He was the producer of the show, and he was also the game master. So he would make sure that any rules would get ironed out on, on set. So when they filmed, they got everything right. Awesome. So first two seasons of Tabletop, pretty good. I like consumed them as I would like a Netflix show. I watched them all in a row. Irene watched them with me. They were great. Bought a lot. I, I, every game, pretty much, that Will introduced on Tabletop, I bought. And Bing! You're out of time. <laughs> I gotta get out of this elevator. And, uh... This elevator sucks. And it's funny, because if you... There there have been articles about that where, like, Tabletop moves games. Like, if your yeah. game is on Tabletop, you're going to sell a lot of copies. Truth. Um, season 3 came, and... No, I'm not exaggerating. Every single episode, I think except two, had the rules completely wrong. How complete? What's what's completely wrong in your opinion? Give me like a an example. Whereas they, I'm trying to think of a game where we're we talking bought- like the in the resistance. The spies open their eyes, see who each other are, <laughs> close their eyes, and then the resistance members open their eyes and see who each other are, close their eyes, and then they try to play a game. Are we talking that bad? Are we talking egregious? <laughs> Great example. <laughs> I would uh, I would say bad enough where it was it was noticeable to a lot of people who own the game like instantly noticeable like oh that's wrong and in in my this is just my experience now if if I'm watching tabletop and they're playing a game a certain way I usually adjust my play to match that because I assume that is right as weird as that is like have you ever read a rule book that's like not clear and then you watch somebody play and you're like well I read the rule book. They're playing this way, so that must be the way to play. That's how Monopoly gets taught, right? I just, I just brought up the article written by Will Wheaton that is throwing his producer under the bus, so I know where this is going now. So, so anyways, I'm tra- sorry. I'm trying to make this fast. Anyways, so at the end of season three, he comes out and, and says he's sorry and then says the whole reason that this happened was because of his producer, which is Bo and pretty much doesn't take any of the blame. Was that true? Was it Bo's fault? Uh, at that point in time, yes. But what I don't understand and what bothers me, so there was talk about season four coming. They want to do a season four, and Will said that obviously Bo wouldn't be involved. Uh, involved but he did comment. It's kind of deep in a, in a, a Reddit thread because Will's pretty active on Reddit. It pretty much says that like the reason he threw Bo under the bus 
back at the end of season three was because Bo was using him to promote his game and get his gains, and he was lying to Will, and it was more of hurting. Some bad. It was more of hurting his show. It was also hurting his friendship. That was his argument there. And fine, I get it. But going back to my problem with it is if you're if you've gone on record and say you love games so much and you play board games with your family, if you've gone on record saying you only play board games that you like, and you've gone on record saying that like if you also play board games that you like from companies that you like, why are you getting all the rules wrong? If these are games that you like, how do you not know the rules? Ooh, I got to stop you right there because uh, I oftentimes do not know the rules of games we publish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick up for Will right now. <laughs> but I, def- uh, I mean, I never go on record and say, hey, I know all the rules of these games. I mean, film is complicated. I don't know the whole story here, but I do know, like, there are people who, like, love playing games, and there are people who know the rules to games, and they're not always the same people. I love uh, games, but I forget rules constantly, and it's helpful for me to have a person like Alan around who soaks up rules like a sponge, you know? I'm not you're not giving your enough. Me. You're not giving yourself enough credit, though, because there's a big difference between not knowing the fundamentals of Kingdom Builder versus not knowing which one of the umpteenth characters has what ability when in some niche situation in two rooms and a boom. Because I think if I ask you right now, Sean, how does security work in two rooms and a boom? Security. Uh... You know it's what? Like... Most people wouldn't be able to do that. I do know how to do that because, you know, the work and things that went on the designing aspect for that character, because that's a character I designed. So that's a big difference then, as SBJ said, is coming out on record and saying, I freaking love this game because the difference would be, oh, we're supposed to exchange hostages or, oh, uh, we choose the leader by first person who nominates the leader. That's a very basic fundamental rule. Which I know all those, of course. You do know all those. So you're not giving yourself enough credit. So in your defense of Will Wheaton, I think you're offending yourself a little Mm. bit more than you need to. And I want to credit SBJ for snuffing out some of, I guess, corruption there. Because I think you're right. It's like you got to take some blame there and there's none there. You want me to read you like the first two paragraphs of this? This yeah, message sure. we've already run way over, so so yeah, what's uh, far <laughs> what's another 10 minutes, pants. right? So, we also complete all right. So, there's a tabletop today with Paul Shear, me, you, Yuri Lowenthal, and Tara Platt. We played a game called Kingdom Builder and we had a lot of fun when we did it. We also completely screwed up the rules for I think the 10th time this season. I'm furious, I'm embarrassed, and I need to put there here so i can just refer to it when this almost certainly happens again this season we had a producer whose primary job was to make sure we knew the rules of the games and played correctly i trusted this producer to be on top of these things and i trusted this producer to ensure that we play the games properly for the first two seasons this producer did a fantastic job a couple mistakes got through but that wasn't a big deal everyone mistake makes a mistake now and then and the show has always been more about the fun of playing the games than anything else but something happened in the third season. I don't know if this producer was careless, overwhelmed, didn't care as deeply as previous seasons, or just didn't do the same amount of preparation that was done for the first two seasons. I don't know why this producer failed to do the most important part of the job so many times this season, 
but I'm pretty fucking pissed off at that person. The person I trusted to make sure we played the games correctly let me down. I trusted this producer so completely, I spent my time and my energy on other aspects of production instead of diligently reviewing the rules before every game like I'd done in the first two seasons. I feel really, really awful about this. I feel embarrassed about this. Um, there you go. All that seems pretty understandable to me, um, but again, more from like a filmmaking standpoint where like tabletop is a reality TV show and, you know, we I don't even know a ton of it, but I know that there's a huge vetting process and I'm sure like certain people play the games and they compare them to other games and then they may... They, in, they, they, play the off, they play off screen and then they play again on screen. After they've been selected or before they've been selected? After. After they've been selected. They pick all the games at the beginning of the season, then with the group of people, they all play together, and then they play it together again um, on air. And I think only a couple games were not played prior just because of time. Um, but in a lot of the conversations, you hear the people say, like, oh, I won the first game. And I think I think somewhere he uh, will did state that they do play... Everyone is taught the game, and they go through an entire game before they play again on air. So this is a situation I could see happening. I'm like a big-time guy, and I'm like producing this show, and I have a production company, and people pitch games, and then we go select games. Um, and my team is really good at knowing what kind of games I would like, right? And so they narrow it down to like 40 or 30 finalists. Then we play all those games. People teach me. We play them. I say, I like this one, this one, and this one. I don't like this one and this one. They say, cool. Then um, I, I say, like, you know, writer person, you write it up, you know, director person, you start getting the production and play, all these other things. You know, a couple months go by as we're doing these things, we're doing other things, and then you get to the day you're going to shoot X and Y game. We play it twice beforehand, and then we play it on set. Somebody's job is to make sure, like, I'm the presenter person, I'm the person who's on camera, but there's somebody else's job who's, like, the teacher person who makes sure we get it right. And that person isn't doing their job. So we're playing it wrong and going, this is right. And they're saying, yep. That makes sense to me from like a he did get screwed over perspective. The caveat I would add is I know anything I'm ever involved in at that level, whether it's two rooms in a room or my own movies or anything like that, I always take the blame. It's like Alan and I talk about all the time in what is it, Oceans 13. Al Pacino says, don't blame yourself. I should have fired you weeks ago. Great line. <laughs> so there, there is an aspect of like, I could see you being upset about that and not wanting to throw a guy under the bus. I think the correct response is just like, this was my fault for having trusted a guy that I no longer trust and we're getting rid of that guy and moving on. Which I think he's kind of saying, he's just not saying it in such a transparent way. Um, I think he's saying it in more of a personal way, if that makes sense. Um Yeah. Anyway, this is the first time hearing it. I'm just saying from a perspective of I've shot things or been a part of like bigger productions where like people do have a ton of different jobs that it's not one guy and one camera. These are the kind of problems you have when you're not, you know, the dice tower or whatever. And it's just mostly just Tom Vassell playing games and telling you what he thinks about them. It's there are 30, 40 people involved in this sort of thing. And I'm Will Wheaton and my job is to be a presenter. Kind of like when a guy on the air on the news reads something wrong, he usually has to apologize, but he's not the guy that like came up with that news. That's yeah, not how the, that, that's works. a good example. I just anyway. think, I just think as somebody who, who says they, they love games so much and they want to introduce the hobby to more people 
and then go on record saying these are the games that he personally loves and then keeps getting them wrong. Like, where's where's the disconnect at one point? Like, why why does this keep happening? Show after show, like, there must be... I love a lot of games, and I there are... The games I play the most, that I love the most, are the games I know the best. And I'm not saying that everyone should have everyone... Like, if this is your favorite game, you need to know all the rules. I'm not saying that. I think... My argument uh, stemmed up from um, Will Wheaton was one of the many people that have asked for money. Uh, Shut up and sit down. Dice Tower. Will Wheaton. Like they've all asked for money. The only one I've ever felt comfortable giving money to and felt that that money was put to good use is Shut up and sit down. That's those are just my views. And somebody could be like, "Well, your podcast is shit because whatever." <laughs> Like, this conversation and shit. I get it. You know what? We didn't charge you anything. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you want to donate to the show, please do so by contacting us at... Contact- no. That was a joke. Like, I think I made... <laughs> I think I made a uh, good amount of money on my other podcast where I was like, hey, I've been doing this for four years. Now I'm actually going to ask you guys for money. And people gave me money. And, How much money did you get? Uh, what did I you ma- do with the money is the better question. Yes, that SBJ. is the good question. Um, I made about $8,000, um, nice. which was awesome. I was able to buy new equipment. I was able to buy some different servers. I was able to buy some audio software. Like there's stupid stuff that, um, people don't realize when podcasting. Um, a lot of people think podcasting is free, but as, uh, Sean and Alan learned that you gotta at least pay $15 a month to make sure that all your episodes are up all the time. Gotta get a good mic. Gotta get a good mic. The real thing, honestly, podcast costs is time. Like kisses, time, (laughs) time, and kisses, man. Just like a girlfriend. It's not hard to carve out the time to record these, but it does mean like this time is locked off from anything else. As we go on longer and longer, I just feel sorrier and sorrier for SBJ because he has to go back and edit this long ass episode, and that's kind of the point. Yeah. Oh yeah. After thinking about this, I, I really just want to eat crow because I think I'm just really jealous of everyone. I'm jealous of Tabletop. I'm jealous of Dice Tower. I'm jealous of you guys. I just, no. I just... Just so lonely. I don't know. If you guys I, could see <laughs> Alan without a shirt on, you would know what jealousy, true jealousy really is. It's pretty rare to find someone hairier. <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs> probably a different... <laughs> Sorry. probably a, a different topic for a different time but when alan brought up journalistic integrity uh which led to me just thinking of the why you hate the dice tower so much why i hate the dice tower and um maybe why i like shut up and sit down and much is i think board gaming as a hobby while it's grown so much in the past see it's always growing well it's grown so much in the past couple of years i still think a lot of the fundamentals are still in its infancy. And what I mean by that is like, you don't see a video game company who is also doing reviews. You don't see like Bethesda or Bungie reviewing other people's games. But you do see things like Game Informer, which you turn like is an entire magazine. That's all reviews that have been paid for by their companies, you know? So I I think that's a misconception because there's a lot of guys who work at giant bomb who came from game informer and said that doesn't, that is not how it works. It's what about Nintendo power. Nintendo power was never actually run by Nintendo. 
Okay, all right. And they never did they review the Nintendo games? They, they did. I think they, they did. They did, but when Nintendo Power first started, yes, it was run by Nintendo, but then it was run by a whole different other company. That company who Let's just not fuck with Nintendo Power because that <laughs> stuff is gold. Well, Nintendo Power doesn't agree, exist but... anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I think what happens is as the industry gets bigger, these problems don't go away. We become more sophisticated at hiding them. You know what? Let's do the mature thing. Instead of downward comparison or pointing our finger at people that are doing it wrong, what's the takeaway lesson here? What can we do right? Like, let's suppose we do start getting money for this podcast. It Maybe people do send us games because they want to hear us talk about them on this podcast. What do we do then at that point, gents? My votes would be um, better equipment, uh, more capabilities for recording, like bringing in guests, um, putting SBJ on payroll, paying for things like events or contests or giveaways, things like that. I mean, I would pour it back into the show, and you know, if it was profitable, then I see no reason for it not to be profitable. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it would all go into quality and SBJ, but I think the other takeaway, and maybe this is what you were going to say, SBJ, is also announcing that in front of every episode. And again, to be fair, in Tom Vassell's review of... Sheriff of Nottingham, he explains what Dice Tower Essentials is and that it's his, he, he partnered up with um, Arcane Wonders. So I think we would follow in that, guys, but a little bit more like, hey, just so you know, we've received money or we receive gifts. Or, I don't know. Something like that. What do you think, SPJ? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, our, our podcast isn't a review podcast. It's literally us talking about what we've been playing a shit talking podcast <laughs> which i mean is literally what we would be doing if we didn't have microphones in front of us yeah these are far not far removed from the conversations uh we have at home except for the fact that sbj's edited all, out all the parts where i've said hey i don't want to talk about that on air <laughs> <laughs> where he doesn't edit me out anytime <laughs> ever for any everything reason. you say is golden you're right <laughs> I don't know. I think it's in uh, a weird spot. I think this Speaking is a topic which, worth revisiting over and over again, though. Yeah, just check in and make sure we're not corrupt. Can no leader become corrupt without its power or something? Uh, edit that out, SBJ. That was horrible. Okay. <laughs> Get right on that. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of which, if people want to attempt to corrupt us, how do they contact us, SBJ? Uh, they can send any emails to Tuesday Night Podcast. Tuesday night podcast, podcast at podcast at Tuesday night games.com. There you go. Boy. Ooh, <laughs> I'm so disoriented, but that was good volume change there because I hear that listeners enjoy it when you change your pitch and volume oh on gosh. a regular basis. I, I'm starting to dislike you listening to my other show. <laughs> if it's a podcast, Alan is listening to it for sure. I will say though, Alan, that the last episode you listened to was very light on the Pokemon. It was good, man. It was good. You know what the best part was? Will confessing that he had actually listened to my Holiday Spectacular. Whoa! <laughs> Although SBJ has since listened to at least one. We should get Will on the show. <laughs> Will, Will's B-team. Oh. That does he Will. know that? Yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, you should listen to this podcast, Sean, because <laughs> they were described as they described themselves as the B team in the episode they were in. <laughs> Will is uh, Will is great. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, Sean, where can they find you? 
at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y, on Twitter, obviously. Alan? Alan Girding on Facebook. I'll accept any friend request because I'm that lonely. A-L-A-N-G-E-R-D-I-N-G. Or on the tweets at Alan Girding. Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Dragging a Lake. And you can follow Tuesday Night Games on Twitter at two twos night games tuesday, tuesday night, night games without, without the, the day. day yeah is it possible to change that just to like it tk is. games or something like that i i tried to change it to a couple other things but they were all taken so yeah we yeah i'll have to think of something better not that I'm i mean if involved they search company, for tuesday night games have... on twitter we will pop up as the first thing yeah that's really the thing oh okay that's probably the easiest way to explain it then but yeah tuesday night games without the day i'll shut up all right this episode is 